The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome to Living Well. This is Ann Beal, and I have a wonderful guest today, Tim Ross. He is the senior pastor at Embassy City Church, which is a sister church of Gateway. Correct. Am I correct about that? Yes, you are. Okay. Gateway Church, which is in South Lake, Texas. Correct. And you've been a pastor with Gateway. For, I was a pastor there for three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. And so we have him on today, and Tim um, is going to talk to you about um, some things he went through in his childhood, and we are going to go through and talk about... Um, really to work to pull the veil away on sexual abuse and pornography addiction and help you out there to know that there are ways to be set free and to recover. And people really can can be healed from this and can move on and have a successful life. Correct. Like Tim. And Tim has such a great story. And so I wanted him on today to share about that and to just learn from him and just hear a powerful testimony about his life. So welcome to the show, Thank Tim. Thank you so much, Ann. I'm really happy to be here with you. Thank you. I, I um, you know, I we go to Gateway, and uh, we actually had watched after seeing you at Pink, mm-hmm. which is the women's ministry, huge convention, the yeah. Pink Impact, and learning more about you because you are so funny. I, I, Thank you. Your, <laughs> your talk was taking... Um, uh, a biblical talk on the woman um, the, that was bleeding. Yes, and correct. Jesus. She mm-hmm. reached out yeah. to touch Jesus. Yeah. I've never heard it told with so much humor and <laughs> comedy ever. And it, I got home and I pulled it up and had my husband watch it. I'm like, you got to see this, and uh, it was hilarious. Thank you. So, did you take comedy classes? I did. I oh, you act- did. I was actually a stand-up comic for two years. Um, uh, Ministry was something that I never planned. I wanted to be a homicide detective. My mother worked for the LAPD for 30 years. And um, so I did a lot of improvisational things growing up and a lot of comedy stuff. When I got into ministry, um, a lot of the things that I was teaching was more on the heavy truth side. And what I felt was uh, if you had to have the option of having regular NyQuil or cherry flavored, you'd be crazy to take regular NyQuil. That stuff is like antifreeze. So <laughs> it looks uh, like it. It too. looks like death in a bottle. So uh, cherry flavored just helped medicine go down. You want people to be healed. I don't think it should hurt going down as well. Uh, and so I use uh, comedy to open people up and then bring the truth of Christ in. How, how did you get life. from wanting to be a homicide detective yeah. to do what you do now? Yeah. Because I just can't see this 
how you could go from one to another. Right. Well, uh, when the Lord shuts a door in your face, you walk away from it. Right. And that's what happened. Um, from the age of four years old uh, to the time I was 20 and a half and could be eligible to uh, start the prerequisite work to get into the police academy, um, I had a one-track mind to be in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I have a high regard for law enforcement. Uh, and... Uh, uh, my focus was to be uh, a homicide detective in Los Angeles, which seemed like great job security, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> uh, but I just felt like that was what my uh, purpose was in life. And so I memorized like two thirds of the penal code when I was a teenager. I was just a big nerd um, and uh, got through all six, uh, all five steps of uh prerequisite work before you go into the academy as a cadet and got uh, gave my life to Jesus Christ between the fourth and the sixth step. The sixth step, the final step, is uh, your psychological evaluation. Uh, There was at the time an unwritten rule that on your psych, they didn't tell you to lie. They just told you, just answer yes or no. Don't elaborate on anything. Don't give the evaluator any opportunity to kind of squint their eyes and uh, I had just given my life to Christ and I'm like I'm you know I'm a changed person and whatever they want to know I'm going to be an open book and I'm going to be the godliest person in law in law enforcement and yeah they failed me <laughs> they failed me on my site you talk too much I talk too much and I still talk too much uh, but I'm doing it in a place that is uh, affirming of that instead of uh, one that does not you know uh, right. really endorse that so did you live in L.A.? I did. I was born and raised in Southern California in Inglewood. Inglewood. Uh, lived in a suburb called uh, West Covina, which is about 20 miles uh, out uh, from there. And uh, then moved to Texas in 1997, June of 1997. So did you meet your wife in California? I met her here. You met her here. I met her Aren't here. you glad you came here? I'm very glad I came here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very glad I came here. Well, Tim... Um, just to let you listeners know, Tim has a wonderful video on Vimeo and YouTube, and it's called Eight Seconds. I am second. I am second. Correct. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I am, am second. Uh-huh. Okay. It's an eight-minute video on I am second. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I asked my daughter to watch it, mm-hmm. and I said, it's only a few seconds. And my husband goes, uh. <laughs> no. Right, right, she right. she goes, how long is it? And so she asked, it's not that long, really. Yeah. And yeah. if I had said... Eight minutes. She might have gone, uh. You know, I just didn't really, I was at all confused. So sorry about that. No worries, no worries. So how did you get into making that video? Yeah, so um, uh, one of uh, the young ladies that we discipled uh, as a part of our young adult ministry um, actually gave her testimony on I Am Second. Her name is Victoria Childress. And uh, she subsequently started working for E3, uh, the company that kind of powers that movement. And uh, they were looking for new testimonies. And she said, well, you got to you got to hear my pastor's testimony. He's very transparent and um, he'll talk about uh, whatever you would like him to talk about. So they came and uh, sat down with me um, on a very snowy day in Dallas. Uh, ice all over the road. We met at a Starbucks. I think we were the only two brave souls that decided to get out that day. But we sat and talked and. He said, well, tell me your story. And I shared it with him. And he goes, so when can you tape? And uh, about three or four months later, we went into the studio and we, we taped it. It's really good. Yeah, thank you. 
for people who don't know what I am second mm-hmm. is, can you explain it to them quickly? Oh, maybe? yes, absolutely. Okay. So in a nutshell, I am second is basically uh, the 21st century version of testimony service. If you come from any kind of charismatic or Pentecostal background, uh, testimony service is, a, is when two or three people would get up and just share something that God has brought them through. And I like to put it like this. There's only two testimonies in the entire earth, okay? God either saved you from something or he saved you through something. And a lot of times we uh, tend to venerate those that have gone through something and, and not celebrate those that have been saved from something. You right. know, God, I didn't have to go through that. Praise God. Um, and so those two testimonies abound on uh, this particular site. Uh, and some of them are um, horrible. Uh, and some of them are just amazing, uh, but they're all inspirational and give people uh, categorically uh, ways to see their story um, and the victory that we can have through Christ Jesus. Well, can you repeat some of it for us, yes, of so for people who would love to hear? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, um, as I uh, before I mentioned, I was born and raised in Southern California. My parents uh, were very uh, and are godly people. Uh, my dad worked for the United States Post Office for 33 years. Mommy worked for the LAPD for 30 years. Um, they pastored a church by vocationally for uh, 15 years. It's the church that I gave my life to Christ in. Um, grew up in a a nice suburban uh, neighborhood. We had a swimming pool. Um, we laughed a lot with our friends, a very diverse community. LA is just a melting pot. And so um, every, I think every ethnicity was represented on our cul-de-sac. Uh, great neighborhood to be raised in. Uh, uh, I come from a very communicative home, very transparent. We can talk about anything. Uh, But at the age of eight years old, uh, I was molested by my neighbor. Uh, He was a a teenage boy. And um, this happened over a six-month period of time. We found out later um, that he had molested pretty much every kid my age uh, on that cul-de-sac, including my younger brother. And so... um, At the age of eight years old, there's absolutely no way to appropriate, contextualize what is happening in that moment. There's just, you're in that moment, you have no idea what's going on. And after it's over, you're like, I'm gonna go play with my toys. I'm gonna go play soccer. I, what is, why do you keep doing this? Like, there's just no, there's no way to contextualize that. And it's not like, your parents would have talked to you about it. Like right. if the guy comes up to you or a kid, because they would have, and most parents would think it's somebody older. Yeah, absolutely. They wouldn't have thought it's somebody Correct. young. Yeah, right? and my mom, you know, my mom was the type of person that when we went out into public areas to a mall or something like that, she counted 45 seconds and she walked right into the men's restroom. She didn't care. Oh, she was very um, careful. She was very careful. So, so this is, uh, again, molestations um, happen almost 100% of the time with somebody that you know, somebody that's familiar, uh, who begins to take advantage of a situation. So um, uh, this is this is what happened. 
uh, to us and to me personally. And you didn't tell her immediately. No, it's the it's the first time um, I can actually consciously remember lying, like like a deliberate lie. Not, you know, you're scared and you took a cookie out the cookie jar and you, you don't want to tell. And mm -hmm. Then it's like, did you? And it's like, well, yes. And since I have chocolate on my cheek, you probably can see that. Because um, she clearly asked. She asked what was going on or? Yeah, well, th that day, the first time it happened, I came home and uh, she said, how was your day? And I said, fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I, you know, how do I even talk about this? And here was the thought that was in my mind. Now, I do remember this thought as an eight-year-old. I can't tell my dad because he'll kill him. Yeah. I, an eight-year-old should not be thinking about that. I have a seven-year-old son now. They're, he's he's not thinking about any of that. He's well, like, video games happen on Saturday and Sunday. We homeschool them. So their their play day is Saturday and Sunday. They can't wait till the weekend. Um, and you see the innocence in their eyes, and you realize what gets taken, you know, uh, at, at that age and stage of life. So um, I, just, I just swallowed it. And... Uh, um, and in the video, you say that's the day you became a liar. Yeah, right? yeah, that's the day I became a liar. So, so I did everything um, to kind of hide it, and um, my grades started to change over the the course of the next four years. Um, I really don't remember fifth grade that much. Um, it was traumatic. I've, I've come to understand later um, that I have a very high stress level. Um, one of my clinical psychologists, who's also my god sister, gave me a stress test one time, and I was off of her chart. And so she said, "When do, when do you even know you're stressed?" And I said, "Well, I I know I str I'm stressed when my mind goes to a certain, you, you know, uh, uh, path of thought." Um, but at eight years old, I, you know, you're just carrying it. And so I just became the court jester at school and. Uh, I'm I'm actually an introvert, uh, but I'm a functional extrovert. Okay. So yes. um, I just turn it on. I'm okay. The lights are on, and I'm on, and I'm going to make everybody laugh. And I'm that way. No one sees my pain, and no one asks me questions. And I can just kind of be here for you, and you won't be looking so much at me. And um, that went on from eight, nine, ten, eleven, and at twelve years old, uh, I was in the neighborhood playing one day and there was a utility truck that came into the neighborhood to fix a power line. They were on their lunch break, it was summer. Uh, I don't know where the driver was, but the passenger uh, was having his lunch in the truck, truck set very high. And I saw three or four kids congregating around the passenger side of the door of his truck. And they were screaming, Mr. Let us see, let us see, let us see, let us see. And uh, so I, out of curiosity, I went over there. What are you guys talking about? And he's he was reading a uh, a uh, he had a hustler magazine. Okay, and they were he th these kids were asking for him to show a picture, and he kept saying, "No, you guys are too young for this." But then he finally succumbed to the pressure of kids, <laughs> and he showed us the centerfold image, and it was it was um, the first nude image I'd seen, and. I could, the only way I could explain it is if you had been in the desert for two days and then somebody handed you a glass of water 
the way your body feels when you're dehydrated and that first swallow of water goes down, I felt like that's how the image went down. It was, I, I drank in the image. And immediately it just woke up something in me that I thought, I, I, need, to, I need to have more of that. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what I'm looking at really, but I want to know what more of that is. And so um, that's when I got exposed to pornography and very quickly it became an addiction for me uh, by the time from 12 to 19 by the time I was 19 I, I mean it was uh, I was a full-blown porn addict I mean I was getting no sleep a any addictive attribute um, that you can imagine I had it and it was very self-destructive I didn't know how to stop it and I remember having a thought one day um, if my if my mom caught me, maybe I'd be so embarrassed I'd stop. Oh, you actually thought that? Yeah, I thought that. It wasn't a prayer. It was a thought. Right? Like, I don't know how to stop this, but maybe if my mom caught me, I'd just be like, oh, my goodness, that's terrible. My mom caught me. Well, um, we know God answers prayers, but we also know that he can hear every thought. <laughs> and I didn't know that thoughts could be uh, uh, taken as prayers. Right. Um, but he knew it, and that's exactly what happened. My mom called me, um, and she caught me. <laughs> like it wasn't like, oh, there's evidence of it. I was caught in the act of looking at pornography. It was very embarrassing for both of us. Very awkward for both of us. Uh, my mom uh, went into uh, the room, uh, her bedroom, and she got on her knees and started praying because that's who she is. She's just a godly woman. Right now, she has two surgically repaired knees as a re direct result of praying on them. Doctor confirmed. She wore the, car the, the cartilage out of her knees praying on them. So, um, she probably wore them out real good that, that evening. Day. Yeah, that day. So, <laughs> it was about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm embarrassed. I take the VHS tape out. I'm going back there. Uh, pop the tape. I throw it away. I'm, you know, I don't feel good about this. I walk down the hall to the right. If I make a right, I go in, into the, my parents' bedroom. I make a left and go down the hall. I go into my bedroom. And I remember thinking to myself, if I go into uh, my bedroom, it's probably going to be awkward for about two weeks, but we'll probably never have a conversation again. But I'll go right back to this. I will. <laughs> you knew it. I'll go right back to this. Getting caught is not enough, right? Um I have to bring it into the light. Getting caught and bringing it to the light are two different things. Bringing it to the light is voluntary. Getting caught is involuntary. <laughs> so uh, I know it was the Holy Spirit that gave me guidance to just, I made it right. I walked to my, in my mother's room and I'll never forget the words I said to her. I said, um, Mom, I don't want you to think that I'm disgusting or a pervert, uh, but I got molested when I was eight. Because I knew the reason why all addiction is a symptom. Right. It's not the root. And so um, I said, uh, I got molested when I was eight. And this 19-year-old young man walked into her room, but the eight-year-old boy finally spoke. And so my mom wept, and then she brought uh, my younger brother in the room. We woke up. He was sleeping. We woke him up, and he said, well, I, I got molested by the same guy. And uh, by three, by about three thirty in the morning, 
you know, my dad worked nights for the postal service. By 3.30 in the morning, uh, my dad was home and we were all sitting in their bedroom. And uh, my mom confessed really brought to light that she had been sexually abused when she was six and my father uh, had been molested by the owner of a comic book store when he was five so in one night this uh, embarrassing moment uh, really turns into uh, a very transformative moment because the lights came on in everybody you know my parents had never shared this with us and they had never shared it with each other right I would think that yeah so all of this came out uh, and um, six months later I gave my life to Jesus I had never been drunk in my life I had never smoked in my life I didn't hang with the wrong crowd I was a law abiding citizen as I said earlier I wanted to be in law enforcement so I didn't get involved with the wrong crowds I didn't do anything this this thing had a stronghold uh, in my life and um, uh, once that confession was made uh, it was like a stone was rolled away and six months later I walk into a service and uh, a church service on a Sunday morning January 14th of 1996 yeah you remember and um, <coughs> I sit down and uh, I uh, I talk I, I mean I sit down and I'm uh, you know, just in the service. This is after Sunday school and right before praise and worship. And I sit in the back of the uh, uh, sanctuary and I can hear the Holy Spirit clear as day just say, um, you're a sinner. Just like that. It was, it was matter of factly. It was, there was no condemnation in it. Uh, like you have on a gray shirt. You have on a gray shirt. It was just, you're a sinner. And it was the first time I realized I was, and I started bawling. I mean, profusely. I was ugly face cry. I mean, just sobbing. And um, uh, I'm a preacher's kid, so like I know the whole format of the service, right? So praise and worship just started. Then we're going to have uh, testimony service. Then we're going to have announcements. Then we're going to have a special song. Then we're going to have the sermon. Then we're going to have altar call. Wow. And I was like... Uh, the service just started. I know I'm a sinner right now, and I can't wait to the end of the service. So uh, I stood up during testimony service, uh, and uh, there was quite a shock in yes. this little church of about maybe 50 people or so. Um, you know, why Tim has something to say? That's what my dad said. He was officiating the service. He was like, "I think Tim has something to say." <laughs> And this is after like five long-winded people had given their testimonies, okay? So um, they kind of, everybody kind of turned around and looked at me and I just said, I give up. And everybody was just kind of quiet and I was like, I need to get saved. <laughs> so then my mom just breaks into tears crying. My dad starts crying. My Sunday school teacher, Beverly Walker, starts crying. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a moment. Uh, and then I walked down to the front received Christ and made my confession before church family and uh, I was now a born again Christian believer who was struggling with porn. Do you do you think that releasing the shame, <clears throat> really releasing the shame when everyone came out and it happened to everyone yeah. in your family yeah. that you realized 
you're not alone. Exactly. And this isn't something you did that was bad. Correct. This is harm to all of us. Right. And it bonded you guys together. Yeah, absolutely. And it freed you. Yeah, it did. Um, there was absolute freedom in it. I think that um, uh, I think a lot of times the way that we uh, articulate salvation and we articulate freedom um, can discourage a lot of people because yeah. they it's talked about with this um, very instantaneous effect, right? I gave my life to Jesus and uh, it. it in the uh, old churches we grew up in, they would say, I looked at my hands and they looked new, and I looked at my feet and they did too. And, you know, this transformation kind of happens like that. And uh, uh, there was a, a passage in Scripture in John chapter number 11 that revolutionized the way I look at uh, freedom. And it's the story of Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus is dying. Jesus knows it. He waits till he's dead. He waits till he's dead. He waits till he's dead, okay? When he shows up, the only thing Lazarus does, I mean, the only thing Jesus does in that entire narrative is the only thing they can't do. So when he shows up, he says, where did you lay him? They said, well, he's in there, but don't open it now. It stinks. Well, why Why do most people uh, hold secrets? They right. Know, this stinks. I don't, want it to, I don't want anybody to hear about this. this. This stinks. He goes, well, you roll away the stone. Jesus wouldn't roll away the stone. Why? You could. So you do that. Then he says, Lazarus, come forth. That's the only thing they could not do. So he speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't go in there and get him. He doesn't carry him out. He doesn't grab him by the hand. He doesn't touch his body. He speaks. And the word brought a dead man back to life. And then that dead man bound, hopped. To Jesus. Yeah, he hopped. He hopped to Jesus, okay? Because he was wrapped up. Right. So he was revived, but he was still bound. And I think a lot of times what um, we don't uh, give people a proper perspective of when they come to Christ is that a lot of people come to Christ bound. And you can come to Christ bound. That's right. And you're you're revived. Great. You came back alive. You're born again, but you're bound. Depending on what you were in, there's some stuff that you're bound to. And so, and so you hop out the best way you can. And then Jesus says, now you loose him and let him go. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Which we want to talk about as soon as we'll take a break yeah. and we're going to come back. Because well, I think it's important um, to talk about the fact that you did say that you wish you could have said that the once you accepted Christ, right, yeah. that you were free from addiction, yeah. right? But yeah. things really did not work that way. Uh-uh. And and for most people, it doesn't work that way. Correct. And and. The addiction, sexual addiction takes, there's a process for healing, but Correct. it does take time. That's right. And um, and really with anyone who's yeah. addicted, they it's a process. Yeah. And to expect them to be able to just stop yeah. and, and, oh, they're fine, yeah. is not reality. Right. And so to realize the struggle yeah. and that they're bound and being... Um, set free over time mm-hmm. with help yeah that's and right and so okay so let's take a break and we will be right back to living well with ann beale and tim ross will tell us more all right don't leave
world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled, fantasies unrealized, and relationships become stagnant. Men are desperate today for a richer, deeper, more satisfying, and intimate marriage. Dr. Jim Slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate, fulfilling marriage they've always wanted. Call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to lifesolutionscoachingandcounseling.com or email them at lifesolutions.com cc at yahoo.com build your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed you are listening to living well with ann beal we'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. This is Ann Beal with Living Well, and my guest is Tim Ross from Embassy City, City Church, Church yes. in Irving Texas, Irving, Texas, which is a sister church of Gateway Church in yes. South Lake, Texas. That's correct. Giant church. Um, and Tim has just, we've been talking about his testimony that he actually has on, if you would like to go listen to it. If you didn't hear the first segment, it is called I Am Second Correct. with Tim Ross, and it's eight minutes. Yes. I got it right. Yes, you okay. did. <laughs> about his um, molestation as a child by a neighbor friend. Yes. Uh, and then his whole um, process of realizing he needed to not have secrets anymore and tell his secret to his mom and discovered that his whole family had actually, at one time or another, been molested as well. Correct. And so what happened from there? Um, And then he accepted Christ. And so what we ended the last segment on was that he was still bound. And he used Lazarus as an example to say that Lazarus, when Jesus called him forth, uh, after he died, he was still wrapped up with That's like right. a burial cloth, right? right? And so he had to actually hop out of the, um, what do you call it? Uh, the tomb. The tomb. Yes. Okay, <laughs> the tomb. And so, um, and so we, mainly to say that just because he came to Christ, uh, he was still bound, yeah. like Lazarus, yeah. that Jesus raised from the dead, yeah. born again, yeah. kind of. Well, not really born again, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, that you were still bound. So yeah. I, I think addiction can do that. Yeah. It's very um, hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't believe that they're able. You know, they just say, oh, all men look at pornography or all men masturbate or all men this or all men that. And the truth is they don't. Right. And that they, and if they do, they can be healed from that. Correct. And be able to live the life that men long to live. Right. To be honorable. Yeah. To cherish their 
loved one. That's right. To be a godly person. That's correct. And so they can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of men just give up. They don't really believe that. They don't believe it's possible. So they embrace this view that the world gives them yeah. of the stereotypical male. Yeah. And and that's not the view I want to have of a stereotypical male. Right. I think of, you know, the way people used to think of a stereotypical male. It was like, well, they were right. muscly, you right, know, right. and they had to be controlling and somewhat. And they kind of run the money. And it wasn't all this sexual junk. Right. And correct. it's just gotten to be, that's all it's about, right? right? That's correct. And so I would love to hear what happened to you yeah. after you accepted Christ. Absolutely. So uh, going back to um, this paradigm with Lazarus, uh, Lazarus is uh, bound in his grave clothes and uh, Jesus says loose that man and let him go uh, he's implying something when he says that hey I didn't wrap this guy up I'm not going to be the one to loose him and so uh, the thing though that people don't understand is that loosing hurts when you hear it it sounds like this triumphant loose that man and let him go yay yeah. but depending on how long you've been bound up Loosing hurts. In the case of Lazarus, he's been in the grave for four years. His body's already her burial cloths are attached to his skin. And so at the level that the uh, fabric is on the skin, I want you to imagine a very hairy person uh, covered with duct tape. And then you have to peel the duct tape off. Oh, that sounds painful. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what loosing feels like if you really want to do it. And to your point earlier, there's a lot of men that just go, you know what? I'm loose enough. <laughs> you know, this is good as going to get. Let's not bother this anymore. To be completely free takes too much work or you're getting down to the layers where uh, the fabric and the skin come together. And where the fabric and the skin comes together is where the identity gets confused. Right? Uh, you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Your identity is now found in Christ. But prior to that, my identity had been found in pornography. I was the porn addict. I am what I'm viewing. I am what I'm doing. There's Gary the drunk. There's Sally, you know, the promiscuous Mm -hmm. person. So now you're identified by what you do. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the war becomes who you identify yourself with. Will you identify yourself uh, uh, as a son of God, a daughter of God, or will you identify yourself by your issue? Um, what that looked like for me was 10 years of um, clinical counseling. Okay. Okay. Uh, I wasn't just satisfied with, I gave my life to Jesus and I got a struggle, but he loves me and I'll just try to do the best I can. Uh, I wanted to get past the surface and the symptom and I wanted the root. You wanted to be healed. I wanted to be healed <laughs> at the root. Well, and part of that is it. what what people don't, you know, I get couples in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the wife will say, oh, he masturbates all the time. Mm-hmm. He's perfectly happy. He doesn't want to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about me. And she, I can't tell me times they'll say, well, they're perfectly happy. And I'll be like, no, no they're, they're not. not. <laughs> I, or they no, wouldn't be not. doing that. I said, they are, they are dying yes, inside. Absolutely. They are devastated That's inside. Correct. Yeah. They don't show that. Right. Because they're trying to live. They're yeah. trying to survive. Yeah. And, they, and it's so shameful. Yeah. And so if the wives discover something, mm-hmm. right, oh, the shame. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that what the media tends to make it look like is this is such a fun and great life. Right. They don't, what they don't show is the hell that these people live in. That's right. It is hell. It is. 
It absolutely is. And so um, uh, we, we started this process where every week I would go into counseling and we started getting to the root of uh, the issues, where insecurity was, where low self-esteem was, where people-pleasing was, uh-huh. where um, inner vows were uh, that I had um, you know, said in my soul, I will never do this or I will never do that. And so we, we started going through this process of healing and then understanding uh, the word of God uh, in relation to those things and being able to under uh, to kind of anticipate, well, whenever you get in this type of situation, this triggers the temptation, the thoughts, the path to go uh, to pornography. And how do you uh, how do you uh, make that shortcut? Um, First uh, Corinthians chapter number ten verse thirteen says, "There's no temptation that is overtaking you, but such as is common to man." Which is great, right there, right? That right. there's nothing out there that isn't common to man, right? Um, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but He will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay. King James is just in my head. So, so uh, that's King James version. There's much a little smoother in like maybe an NLT or something. Or message, right? Message, the message. A message Bible would really smooth it out. Okay, but so. I think it's important to say that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm tempted. I'm not going to, you know, I always have a way out. I always have a way out. Yeah. And, and you do, yeah. but you don't always see it. And you don't that's know right. how to. So you don't that's have to. So, you know, with pornography, it's a coping skill to deal with pain. Yeah, absolutely. And you found that first right. before you found the way out. That's correct. That's correct. And so uh, what I love about what the scripture says is that God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. So you don't see the escape until you see the temptation. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of people want the escape before the temptation and they feel bad when they're tempted. Oh my God, I'm tempted. I must have something wrong with me. But if you stop at a red light and look to your left and the Krispy Kreme hot donut <laughs> sign is on. Hot now. You, you know what I mean? Hot now. Come in now. Uh, you know, you, you haven't fallen because you thought about a donut. When the light turns green, drive off. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think with the tempt- temptation, he finds a way of escape. If we ask, we have to partner with the Holy Spirit for freedom. He's not going to come in and live free for us, but he will partner with us so that we can live in freedom. Um, and, it, and it does take a lot of discipline. And man, the, the amount of times over a decade that I relapsed and blew it and thought, what am I doing? And all of that, my wife, my, my, my wife is the sweetest woman ever. She would say to me oftentimes, uh, when I got to this point where I said, I'm not going to have any more secrets with her. I'm going to tell her everything, no matter what happens, I'm going to tell her. She would just be like, yeah, you should have just told me. Then you wouldn't have had to do all that. And I'm like, oh, I, I, that's the same way I feel. I should have just told you. But in those moments, you, uh, you revert back to silence. One of the things that I found, particularly with pornography, is that um, uh, I, haven't, I haven't met a very chatty pornographer oh that's interesting okay in terms of when they're going into that place the first thing they do is stop talking when they're in the uh fog when, they're, of that in, when zone. they're in the fog they stop communicating and there is a silence uh that comes over them externally and internally uh and that's what moves you into this this moment of uh, mm-hmm. pornography and whatever comes along with it 
So I feel like um, uh, the way that we've done to preempt it is we, we have um, a, a model in our house. We just keep the lights on. So as soon as I start having a thought, I just turn the lights on. Hey, I'm, we, we, we nicknamed it the monster because we have kids. So you speak it. We speak it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, babe, um, the monster's back. And she's like, oh, okay. So my wife goes down this checklist. Do we need to uh, pray? Do we need to be intimate? Do you, you know, she'll ask me what's bothering me. Do you need to play your video game? Because that's a very healthy outlet for me. Um, some people go golf. I play video games. Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, there's all these things that, she, that she'll that ask me. Not once has it ever been about intimacy. Right. Because the intimate relationship I have with my wife is very healthy. And, and when it's in this healthy context, like when you have a big plate of food, you know when your stomach is full and you go, wow, I'm full. I've had enough. That's a healthy sexual appetite. Uh, pornography uh, is unhealthy in that it's lascivious. It's gluttonous. It's never enough. If it was about one scene, then one scene should have done it. But now you need another right. scene. Now you need another scene. Now you need more scenes. Now you need different scenes. Now you need all So So sin never stays where you put it. Well, it is interesting, though, about sexual sin, mm-hmm. about pornography itself, mm-hmm. and the the kind of beast that that it is. Yes. I mean, and it I think that people they underestimate the power of it, yeah. and they think it's just a picture. Yeah, no, it's not. But what it does to the brain, and yep. how it changes the brain, correct? And it changes these people, yeah. And they become almost like they don't have, they don't have much of a conscience right. they don't have much remorse yeah. i mean and these are wonderful people to start out that's right um, they're often very gifted people right. and so they can obsess right. um, but that's the most gifted most successful people in the world yeah. and that's what's so sad about right. it that the pornography is taking them over yeah. and it um, it does that and yeah. when you talk about what happened to you right. we see that all the time yeah. and so you know, we know what's happened to the brain, and you can get it back. Right. But um, that they do talk about that that addictive fog yeah. that you that you go into. Yeah. And um and you know and I mine has never been pornography, mm-hmm. but for me, any time that I you know if I see an attractive guy, mm-hmm. and I don't know why I, don't, I just don't I, I'm not it, I think with women there's a lot more to what we see in a guy you know Correct. the dress or right. the suave debonair or whatever right. and so if I see that or um, I, I speak it mm-hmm. I sp- and people I look silly mm-hmm. you know to my staff or whoever's around mm-hmm. you know and they'll be like really like mm-hmm. what and and I do I, I tell my assistant my the people around me my husband mm-hmm. you know and um, I come I came across a guy from college that mm-hmm. I hadn't seen in a long time and I had a, a crush on him in college mm-hmm. though I never told a soul mm-hmm. and so I'm I, you know, came across him at a um, chamber of commerce thing, mm-hmm. and I came home and I told my family, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Really, that howdy doody looking guy?" You know, they just <laughs> thought it was so silly. Right. And I said, "You know, I know it's silly, yeah. but and once I speak it, That's within right. seconds, yeah, it shrinks. It's just gone. The yeah, beast, the beast turns weird. into a puppy. <laughs> but if I, but if I don't speak it, That's right. It, it, you know, it goes on and on and on. And it takes on this life of its own in my head, you know, and I've had people say, yeah, that's what happens to them. That by keeping it secret, your mind kind of changes, that makes you believe that you want this and want this and want this. That's correct. And so, but once you speak it and you get it out and you tell people and you look silly and foolish and all that, um, it's gone. And so with you, with your family, Mm -hmm. did they all go to counseling? Um, I did, uh, 
my parents, uh, once they got it out, I think they just... They were better. Yeah, they were just better. Because it, it was n- nothing at the time that was, you know, uh, current for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my younger brother, his wasn't pornography. His was alcohol uh-huh. and drugs. Uh, he gave his life. He's preceded me in death. So he gave his life uh, to Christ two years before he passed. And he's in heaven. So he beat us there. Baby brother gets everything first. So <laughs> um, I, I um, uh, with my wife, my wife is you know, one of the godliest women I know. She got saved when she was nine years old. She's uh, very, very secure in who she is and who God created her to be. And she went with me a couple of times for some, like, some joint sessions. But she was like, yeah, your problem, you fix it. Well, you she's also needed, York. you needed, <laughs> that is a true statement yeah, right yeah, there yeah. about she's New from New York. Yeah, yeah. It is, it gives you the freedom, though, yeah, absolutely. To, to talk and yeah. say what you need to say without the worry of yeah, her being absolutely. affected yeah, by it, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so you are incredibly successful now. And so for you to go from that to the life that you live now, how did you get there? Well, um, I feel like I've really, um, almost reluctantly got here. Um, like I said earlier, my path was to be in law enforcement. I gave my life to Jesus January 14th of 96. I preached my first sermon February 25th of 1996, five weeks later. And I've been preaching ever since. I have half a semester of Bible college. <laughs> I teach in Bible colleges and universities all over the country, halfway around the world. And I honestly don't get it. Like... And I don't think I want to. Um, I've, I've kind of stood blissfully ignorant. There was um, a season as God began to continue to open doors and I began to be on platforms with uh, people who were really smart. and Really had, smart. Yeah, had double doctorates and all this kind of stuff. And there was there was some comparison there that was unhealthy. But I, and I felt like I need to go back to school and I, you know, I need to get educated. This is embarrassing and I don't have anything behind me. And, that was your did, self-talk. Yeah, that that was course. that negative self-talk. Yeah, I mean, think about that statement. I don't have anything behind me. Mm-hmm. God is behind me, in front of me, on all sides of me, promoting th- what he wants done in, uh, through me. But I, I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, you're a Christmas tree with no ornamentation. And he said, the reason why people are attracted to you is because I'm lighting you up. He said, if you go get one ornament to put on this tree, it'll be all about you and not about me. Well, and people are impacted by different kinds of people. That's correct. You reach people who are motivated to change through you. They, yeah. they see you and they're like, wow. Yeah. That's it. And they, they love what you say or how you say it. And yeah. you impact people. Yeah. And the fact that you impact people so much shows that, you know, God made you just this way That's to do right. just this thing. That's correct. How did you end up with Gateway? So I was, um, I had been a young adult pastor uh, at a church in Dallas for four years. What church was it? Potter's House. The Potter's House. Bishop. Bishop, Bishop Thomas Dexter Jakes. Dude, I'm so glad yeah. you said his whole name. Absolutely. So uh, uh, he he's uh, my spiritual dad. Uh, he and his wife, Sarita, great, great people. We love them. Uh, had been there for 13 and a half years. Had been on staff for four as a young adult pastor. Saw some great success there. We felt like the Holy Spirit was calling us to transition. We didn't know into what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I shared it with him. He gave us his blessing. Uh, prayed for us and released us to go figure out what it was. I went back on the road. I had been a youth, youth evangelist prior to coming on staff there. So um, uh, I was on. I went back on the road for a year and a half, but we lived in North Fort Worth. So two miles from the Texas Motor Speedway, 
little city called Roanoke uh, and Gateway was 10 minutes away. Well, we felt like, you know, we're, we're not going to go to Gateway. Gateway is a great church. <laughs> Too big. But Whatever. They don't I, need you. I don't want to go to another big church. <laughs> I'm going to take a smaller church. I'm going to sit in the back with Joe the mechanic, pay my tithes, and go home. Right. right? I don't, you know, no responsibility. Well, that lasted for about a year. We joined Gateway. Uh, well, we joined Gateway about five months later. But uh, me being inactive in a local church lasted about a year. And I'm really... I love traveling, but I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. I just love the local church and what it does for communities. So we did. We, uh, I came on staff as an associate campus pastor at the North Richland Hills campus. That's right. Did that for about two years, and then got promoted to executive pastor of apostolic ministry. Really, like, grandiose title. Right. But all it really boiled down to is that we were, um, I was tasked with uh, outlining what the apostolic experience apostolic expression of Gateway Church was going to be as it connected with other churches and other ministries that wanted to be uh, under our covering. Um, So I did that for about 11 months, and then the elders voted unanimously uh, that the burden that God had placed on my heart to plant a church in Irving, Texas, was from the Lord. And in April of this year, um, they uh, confirmed that, and then in September of this year, they released us to we go saw, to yes. we, we saw them uh, bless you yeah. and commission you. Yes, that's yes. correct. Yeah. Um, how did you use the um, healing of and, and the, the, the knowledge you had yeah. about people being in bondage and being freed from addiction yeah. to pornography and, and kids being molested mm-hmm. or abused? How did you use that in your, your ministry? Yeah. How did you, did you do anything with that? Yeah, of course. So... Um, Early on, back in 1999, when I got married to Juliet, it was interesting when you how you uh, uh, wrote uh, the description of how we're going to talk today because I saw the words "break the silence." That's the first ministry that we had. It was actually called "Breaking the Silence Ministries," and uh, the whole thing was about getting people to be transparent about the things that they have been through. Again, with only one of two testimonies in mind: uh, not that everything had to be horrible and I came from a drug addicted background and got shot nine times, not that, but that. There, every one of us has an area that we would rather not bring to the light. Right. And that through the power of Jesus Christ, we could bring that to the light in a community of people that can help us walk that out. I think a, a lot of the people, you, you know, uh, 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 misunderstand the cross, the fact that it's vertical and horizontal. And so we'll say, you know what, I give all my cares to God and mm-hmm. I just talk to Jesus about it and I'm okay. And it's like, well... The horizontal thing, God put us in community for a reason. Right. Uh, and I think the cross-pollination of that um, is is helpful to people. I Am Second is fantastic. Um, it, it is, the, the, the message behind it is that Jesus is first and I am second. But with the testimonies, I heard a very, very interesting uh, uh, thing described about when I gave my testimony. They said, you give people the opportunity to go second. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you go first, I'll go second. And I, and, I, and I got it that even sharing this today is going to give people the courage to go. Some people will say, I'm going to do exactly what he's going through. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I feel empowered to now bring this to light. Other people will go, my thing is not as bad as that at all. I have no, you know, I don't have any excuse not to just say that I'm eating cupcakes at 
2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Whatever it is, um, if it's something that you don't have control over, then it probably has control over you. And one of the fruit of the Spirit uh, is self-control. It's temperance. And so um, uh, being able to bring that to people. I share my I share my testimony very casually from time to time, even in the, you know, uh, six weeks that we've had our church opened, I've already shared my testimony and I wasn't even talking about abuse or anything. I just shared it in the middle of my message. Uh, and it wound up being one of the biggest altar ministries we had for that weekend. Cause right. they were like, every time I share it, people open up. So that's why I keep sharing it. Well, and I, I think that, you know, every man's battle, the book, yeah. um, the, the ministry they have, they actually have a, a retreat for an intense retreat for four days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually is in Solana. Um, it, it, it comes like every three months, I think. It travels around the U.S. But every city, when it's there for that month, because it's in one city every month, mm-hmm. and then, then it comes back to Dallas, a mm-hmm. um, hundred men every month come. And in those four days, they learn how to recover yeah. from the addiction. They get all the tools they need. They get in a, a men's group that goes from there, from the group that they're in. They yeah. get on a call weekly. They get the materials, the written materials. And, and it's a process over time. But That's right. they they for the first time, they feel the hope because they see that right. they hear testimonies of all these people that— and, a lot of them very severe, yeah. much more severe than anything you said. Yeah, much more severe than most people even know is possible. That's right. And they've been healed. That's right. And they now, you know, spend their time yeah. helping other men. Mm-hmm. And so it's so cool when it you is. hear that. And and there are ministries like that. I even know the Meyer Clinic in in uh, Dallas has something like that too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know if it, or do you guys still have Breaking the Silence. Well, it's been absorbed into Tim Ross Ministries, Tim as, Ross Ministries. As, as it took on a fuller expression. Uh, but again, it's still part of my narrative that I love to share when I and get is the that opportunity. TimRoss.org, is that they can find out about that? That is correct. Great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And um, if you can tell people how they can reach you, is that how they do it through the website? Yeah, through the website. So TimRoss.org, also EmbassyCity.com. Okay. Those would be the two uh, areas that we can be reached. And that would be wonderful. So if people try to get to you, that would be great. Yeah. Um, Every Man's Battle has a website, newlifeclinic.com. Um, or they can just Google Every Men's Battle. Yeah. And so we just really want you guys to have the resources because I think it's very important yeah. for you to realize Tim doesn't have secrets anymore right absolutely right and to get rid of the secrets that's correct to let them go and and last week i had penny rackley a life coach in uh, flower mound Mm -hmm. and she was talking about releasing the past yeah and how easy it actually is just let it go right just move forward just take a step Mm -hmm. and say i want to change my life and i'm gonna do it today yeah and i'm just gonna do something different yeah and so you just look up the websites call the hotlines you get that yeah that's good I thank you so much for being with us. Honored to serve you. Is there anything you'd like to end with? Um, I just want to encourage um, for all those that are listening that um, you can walk in freedom. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in freedom. That is so good to know. And um, I want everyone to know that Tim has impacted my life. And I want that for you. I want you to know that you can be free. Thank you so much for listening to Living Well with Ambiel. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a blessed day.
Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. 